0: All right, very good. So this is the beginning of our three-week series that um, several of you have noted. It was kind of a draw as to have a chance to look in a little bit more depth at the particular topic. Of course, I chose intention because it is near the beginning of the year, and that's often on our minds um, when we go through this, really, a perceptual transition, right, that it's uh, another year. But um, a, a worthwhile one, it can be used skillfully, this concept can be used skillfully. And I sent out the announcement for this to the sutta, the people who have been in the sutta study classes before. I just wanted to point out that technically this is um, a different class called um, Integrating Dhamma, which is a program that we ran actually for about four months, uh, a couple of years ago. Um, And then somehow I haven't managed to repeat, so we're doing a three-week version of it instead of a nine-week or whatever we did before, I think it was. Anyway, um, so there will be suttas, but it's not the primary focus. But um, the point of integrating Dhamma is to integrate, is to understand, you know, we, we learn about the Dharma and we do our meditation and we have our intention to do our daily life practice. And somehow, um, the hope of having all those different dimensions is that we're bringing the Dharma more and more into just our way of being, which is a lot of what awakening is about, (laughs) actually. It's not a, a, you know, probably isn't going to be a bright flash of insight where suddenly all of our problems go away. It's really more and more about deepening our consciousness, living with much more awareness, so that we're doing it wisely. We still have the challenges, but we don't meet them with this sense of personal burden in the same way. And so um, intention actually wraps right into that. Uh, As we'll see as we go along, using intention skillfully is a really important part of waking up. In fact, it was so important that the Buddha gave wise intention one of the steps of the path. He teaches lots and lots of things, but there's just eight of them captured in the Eightfold Path, and intention is one of them. It's, it's of that much importance. So, that's our hope, is to um, <clears throat> have a little chance to look a little bit more deeply at this quality of intention. What is it? How do we use it? And, most importantly, how does it work in your actual life? And so I'll be giving teachings, but you'll also have a chance to do exercises on your own if you want, contemplations between the sessions, and then we can talk about them when we come back. And um, if there's time, we might do a couple of little small group exercises in class. So you'll get to meet some of the other people, the wise community that we have here, learn from each other a little bit also. So I wanted to start um, just with this word intention it's a common english word we use it frequently maybe not every day but we all therefore have a sense that we think we know what it means and we do generally but what did you know what did the buddha mean when he talked about intention and what quality that is what what is that pointing to in our experience how does it function in our life and what can be done with it skillfully so I picked out this quote from a sutta that's interesting. He just says directly, intention, I tell you, is comma, which is karma, that's the Pali word. Intention, I tell you, is comma. intending. One does comma by way of body, speech, and intellect. So he equates, in this case, it's a very succinct little teaching, but he equates um, kama, which means action, actually, karma, another word that we think we know what it means, with intention. So he almost doesn't separate what we're intending to do, whatever that word means, from the actual action. And this is um, pointing toward this notion that our lives are this flow of, you know, we do something and then that becomes the input for the next moment and then what choice we make in that moment, which feels like it's a response, then becomes the input for the next. And there's this uh, ongoing development of our experience through what we intend and what we say and do and think. Even even thoughts have intentions behind them, but they're often subconscious. So that's starting out at a pretty high level. Um, but essentially, We're engaging with karma. We're engaging our karma in a way that is going to be beneficial. We're going to try to use the flow of our lives to flow better, Mm -hmm. essentially. And we're going to return in the third class to the larger issue of karma. I don't want to dwell on that too much right now because it kind of sounds abstract. So I want to get down to a more practical teaching that has an instruction in it. This is from the Dhammapada, and I sent it in that email. Doing no evil, engaging in what's skillful, and purifying one's mind. This is the teaching of the Buddhas. Now, I'm sorry about the word evil. That doesn't always work for people with a Christian background. It has a very specific meaning there. But essentially, um, the word that's translated as evil, which is papa, means Something that goes in the direction that's not going to be good for you, basically, Um, or for others. There's harm. It's going to go toward harm. So not doing what goes toward harm, engaging in what's skillful, So, actually doing the things that are good, that's the flip side, Um, and purifying one's mind. And again, the word purify sometimes has connotations for people, but it's not meant in a puritanical way, but more um, purifying one's mind, is to make the mind soft, gentle, um, clean. We know what it's like to have a clean mind. Like, so we've had maybe occasions where we acted well in a situation. Like, we, we said the right thing, or we were very clear. We just said exactly what was true. And even though it wasn't necessarily what the person wanted to hear, We feel totally clean because we were totally clear about what we said. So that's the sense, is what if your mind could feel like that all the time? There was no conflict. You were able to just move through life with that confidence and clarity. So moving our mind in that direction. So these are instructions. Not doing what's leading toward harm, engaging in what's skillful, and purifying one's own mind. This is the teaching of the Buddhas. It sounds so simple, doesn't it? And yet, we know that even if this is our intention, (laughs) it doesn't always happen that way, right? And so this is this process of um, learning to use intention, which is the same as kama, creating the kama that will eventually um, help the mind not do harm, do good, and become pure. So this maybe sets a little bit of, a, of the sutta context um, around what our aim is here, is to get the mind on a better track, essentially tracks that are not related to greed or hatred or confusion. And we've been on all of those tracks at various times. Welcome. So as I um, as I pointed out in that email, and if you didn't read it, it's okay. We're about to go over it again. Intentions, whatever they are, are different from goals or resolutions or aims, essentially. Um, those kinds of things are about the future. You know, We imagine something in the future, we create it as an abstract object. There's my goal, and then we kind of aim ourselves at it which is fine, that this is a particular way of acting, um, but it's, it's pretty clear that the goal is really in the future. Whereas we know from practice that the future is something that we create in our minds, right? As is the past. Um, doesn't mean it's not relevant, of course we have to plan, but the present moment <laughs> is where it's happening, right? This is where things are. And so, intentions are actually something that happen in the present. Um, Wise intention is to set a direction from now. And, you know, we may intend to go in a particular way, but intention happens now. It is a present moment experience. And intentions are a little bit complex in that they have effects both in the present moment. They have simultaneous effects as they happen and they have effects in the future. So uh, that's what actually makes the flow of karma hard to understand is that every event has effects immediately as it's happening and creates effects in the future also. So there's always a lot of things interacting each moment. There's the karma that's happening in that moment and there's karma that's arriving from the past, that's ripening from the past. So that's why you can actually relieve yourself right now of the burden of trying to understand the flow of your karma the Buddha said, "If you try to do that, you will go insane." <laughs> so, I think it can be understood very in a very deep insight by someone who's a very advanced practitioner. It's one of the, I think it's one of the, um, uh, whatever it is, the extraordinary powers that one can develop. But for the rest of us, we don't have to worry about understanding that whole flow. It's actually good enough to work with intention in the present and allow that to unfold slowly, inexorably, as it has to. A nice analogy people use for intention and karma sometimes is um, the agricultural analogy. The Buddha used this a lot, of seeds. You know, we're planting a certain seed through this moment's intention. So that happens right now. And then that seed ripens or grows based on the quality of the intention. So we can plant seeds of anger, and those grow Fruits that are pretty bitter, or we can plant seeds of loving kindness, or patience, or compassion, and those grow into fruit trees that are uh, have sweeter fruit on them. Yes, and so, and then there's of course all the effects of planting seeds. Anyone who has a garden knows that you plant two hundred seeds and only. 72 of them sprout and only 48 of them grow into play, you know, right? And, and there's all these conditions around how seeds grow. And if you grow them in the wrong soil or in the wrong time of year or too much shade or too much water, uh, they, it, it really affects how they come about. This is another complication of how karma ripens. And so in the same way, you know, we can plant very good intentions, but they're not in the soil where they can ripen very well. Or we can plant um, seeds of anger, but fortunately we have a, we put them in the shade and don't water them, and then they don't have as much impact. So we can totally affect how um, our life grows, our garden grows, through understanding what we're planting, and how we're planting it, and how we're nurturing it. But luckily, it's really enough. Despite saying that, it's really enough to focus on this present moment where we're planting various intentions. So, it's good to begin feeling also what intention feels like. I mean, these are all nice ideas, and the garden image I think is quite helpful. But that's so that's sort of a nice step beyond just an abstract word to have an image but we're also going to do it experientially. So let's just take a moment, actually, and close your eyes, if you would. This is going to help us to feel intention. So even if you don't normally meditate with your eyes closed, please close your eyes just for this little experiential exercise. And as if you were starting to meditate, go ahead and relax the body and soften the mind. Maybe on the next out-breath, just relaxing the shoulders and the belly. Maybe put the attention onto the breath or the body so that your mind settles a little bit. Softening the eyes, softening inside the Brain, where the thinking muscle is. Okay, so now (coughs) continuing to sit um, just as you are, we're going to consider the action of opening your eyes. You're not doing it yet, but you're going to. And see if you can notice the intention, which comes just before. So when you're ready, you can start looking for that intention and see if your eyes open. they do, you can close them again if you want and try again, or you may also notice the intention arise and your eyes don't open. That can happen. Play a little bit with that sense that right before you open your eyes, there's something, there's a prompt to do that. What does that feel like? What does intention feel like? And next time your eyes are open, you can leave them open. Did everyone get to feel that a little bit? Any, uh, any comments on the experience? Yeah, Heidi.
1: I'm distracted by the uh, recent neurological experiments that show that before we know that we intend to do something, our brains are already having the intention.
0: <laughs> yeah, that intention actually doesn't cause the action, presumably. Yeah. yeah. Um, I want to put that to the side a little yeah. bit. Um, Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> It's true that their consciousness and intention have a different relationship than we think they do. <laughs> Let's say it that way. Um, Thank you. Now I can put it aside. You can put it aside. Um, the hope was to actually... Because there is a little something right before you open your eyes, right? There's something there. You don't always catch it. Did anybody catch it? No? Did anybody? Did you feel something? Um, it's something that happens in your mind. I see a couple of little nods, actually. Um, so intention... It's subtle. Um, you, may, you can also see it... Usually we're moving too fast. Uh, through our lives to see it, but on retreat people play with intention and you could do it at home also when you have a little bit more time and quiet. For example, if you're approaching a door that you need to open, you can watch the intention arise. There's, There's total intention to reach for the doorknob and turn it. It's pretty easy to see that one. I can't have you all do it while you're sitting here, so we did the eyes. But try it with a doorknob. You can also sometimes... Like I mentioned, you might have the intention to open your eyes, but it doesn't happen. Um, I know somebody who was on retreat doing this exercise, and they got to their room, and they stood in front of the door for five minutes, watching the intention arise again and again, and they never, their hand never opened the door. <laughs> but finally, it did. So it's interesting that intention is not always linked to an action. Like it doesn't, there doesn't have to follow an action. But if there's an action, there's almost certainly an intention there. Guiding it, so intention. Well, if Kim, how would you describe that moment? What you say? There's this moment between the intention and the action.
1: So no, none Inten- of us seem to be able to describe it or put words to
0: it. Well, I was about to try to try to describe Thank it. You, sorry. <laughs> it's sometimes described as a little bit of a lean. A little, it has a little bit of energy. There's a little. Uh, tweak a a leaning really and then the action occurs and you can catch that leaning that's the intention And it's actually are you ready? It's a form of desire Right you want to open your eyes something says do that And are you now scared because you've been told that desire is the cause of suffering in the second noble truth And every action you've ever done had an intention before it Carlotta
2: um, it felt to me that the word was, was more as a command.
0: A command?
2: Yeah. Okay.
0: So that, Do this. Okay.
2: Yeah.
0: It yeah. Exactly. might feel like that. Did it have a word associated with it?
2: No. Open no. your eyes.
0: Open your eyes. Yeah. Or so that's an imposition, right? right. Because exactly. you, you don't need that to open exactly. your eyes. But yeah, it, it can feel like an act of will, but of course, you're surely not conscious or mindful of every single movement that you do. Right. So there's got to be a way that intention is not only an act of will. That's interesting, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, but it's for sure a, a form of leaning toward, moving toward. And so it's a very, very subtle, basic form of desire. It's not the same desire as, I got to have that donut or whatever it is that overwhelms our mind, but it is a little leaning toward. And so um, so I want to disabuse you of the notion that any leaning toward um, is automatically a cause of suffering. I don't think anybody suffered to open their eyes. Um, we need a little bit more refined understanding of desire if we're going to include intention at one end of it and kind of you know painful grasping <laughs> at the other end of it. So this is, this can be interesting, is to kind of explore desire. Um, We don't need to fear or want to end desire, because that would be paradoxical. Wanting to end desire is a desire, so it's not going to (laughs) work. That is not the way to end (laughs) desire. (laughs) Um, But desire um, can be observed, as we just did with the intention exercise. And it can also be used skillfully. Your mind has the quality that it can move toward things, like it can move toward the opening of the eyes. And that's a skillful thing to do when your alarm goes off and you need to open your eyes and get up. That was the, that's the right thing. That's the right desire to have at that moment. So we can use desire skillfully. We can form healthy or wholesome desires. Um, Not the ones that lead to suffering. There are even desires that lead to the end of of desire, but of course we can't directly desire to end desire. Mm -hmm. So this is what intention is about. It's about learning to have healthy desires, to train our mind toward, it moves toward things anyway. Why not have it move toward the wholesome? Mm
2: -hmm.
0: That's what we're going to learn. So congratulations! You don't have to get rid of your desire. We're just going to um, shape it a little bit differently. Well, Plant different seeds. Yeah.
3: Well, that's interesting because I think I, I I did that a little because
1: I my intention it was really it was hard to follow it to open my eyes because I really wanted to keep them closed. Uh-huh. So I did the opposite and. Open them and then desired. I mean, then intended. To intended close to close. Them. Okay. And then. Um,
0: could you catch that intention? I,
1: and I, I could feel some. I am, um, yeah. Leaning to is a, a, yeah. It was like there was a movement in a direction. And then, um, I tried to do it. Okay, so you don't have to necessarily want this, but you can intend to open your eyes. And then I could feel that.
0: Yeah. We can do things that we don't want to do, <laughs> and it still has an intention behind it. Intention is complicated. There's a lot of them operating. Um, we know desires conflict, right? So yeah, this is this is really important experiential exploration. Even at this simple level of opening and closing the eyes, you've learned something about how your mind and body interact. Oh, it's very interesting.
1: It seems like a difference between the I don't know the, the desire
0: well anyway. you can have a global <laughs> a desire intention. that's yeah. different from your momentary intention. And we all know this, right? We have the global desire not to eat that cookie, and then we do.
3: <laughs>
0: right? This is this is actually really useful exploration of the mind, because the mind has a lot of different levels, right? And sometimes the energy, like you can have the intention arise and pass away, and it doesn't result in action. So it may not be strong enough. There's some other thing overriding it. Maybe we didn't see, like the person who stood in front of the door and couldn't get their hand to open it. So, you know, it's interesting to watch the mind in action and to see that not all of it is our conscious will. It's not the same So this is really interesting, once you start seeing that intention is operating without your conscious will and mindfulness, that really, for me, increased my desire to improve my mindfulness, (laughs) so I could see more of that going on, see more of what the mind was doing. So in Buddhist teachings, to simplify all these intentions that we might have, it's boiled down to three wise intentions. Um, that are really considered the heart of the wise intention on the path. Obviously, we have many other intentions besides that throughout the day, just doing all of our daily actions. But the three wise intentions are non... These are the correct technical terms. They're non-ill will, which is sometimes expressed as loving-kindness. Teachers will turn it into metta. Non-cruelty, which is usually expressed as compassion and renunciation, which is sometimes said as letting go, since renunciation is a word people don't like sometimes. Mm -hmm. Actually, that's not the correct order. They're they're said as renunciation, non-ill-will, and non-cruelty. But I've listed them in the order that we're going to examine them. So we're going to start tonight with non-ill-will, or metta, and then next week, compassion, and we'll, we'll save renunciation for the finale. <laughs> dessert. The dessert. I, I like that. So, yeah.
2: Aren't those two things different? I mean, what you're, what I'm hearing is that is equating non-ill will with meta. Mm-hmm. But I may, I may exercise non-ill will and not necessarily meta.
0: That's why I prefer non-ill will. That's why I mentioned that first. I think it's broader, right? So, if non ill will could be equanimity, it could be patience, uh, it could be meta. So, I say that in that I think it's more accurate mm-hmm. and broader, really, mm-hmm. to say non ill will. Um, it's also true, though, that and this is now getting a little bit more scholarly than is than I uh, I can speak to, but. I have read that um, in in ancient Indian languages, like Pali, um, sometimes the uh, negation of a word actually implies its opposite, the way the language was used. Um, So if I say non-ill-will, what I really mean is goodwill. Um, There's a flavor of that in it. So bowing to that a little bit, I think metta or goodwill is maybe an okay translation. Mm -hmm. If we broaden a little bit maybe what metta means. Um, Maybe equanimity is a form of metta, for example. Um, And that's something we need to discover for ourselves. I'm wanting this to be experiential, like we just did with the uh, Mm -hmm. eye eye closing or opening. So we'll also be looking at metta, and you may find that for you, metta is one thing, and somebody else Experiences as something else, and what the point is to start to bring this intention more into our lives because it bears very good fruit. So, let's look a little bit at um, this intention of loving kindness, goodwill, or non ill will. <laughs> Take your pick. And different words may resonate differently for different people. That's part of the teachings, also. But essentially, this is a wish. It's a desire. Um, we wish well. You know, we're wishing well for ourselves or for someone else. We're wishing happiness and health and um, a smooth life. Whatever it is that we're wishing, but bringing back what I said before, it's not an aim. We're not saying you need to be happy <laughs> in sometime in the future. <laughs> That's my aim for you. This is a, a movement of the heart in the present moment. It's a wish that that things go well. They may not, but we're wishing them. And remember that intentions have effects in the present moment as they're happening, and they unfold in the future like seeds. So, what? How is that for metta? Metta is purifying in the moment. If metta is there, ill will cannot be there. They are. Incompatible. And so every moment you have that has goodwill or non ill will in it, um, you are conditioning the mind not to have ill will. So there's purification in that moment. And then um, it can unfold in many different ways. Often, like for other beings, by definition, an effect on another being would be happening a little bit later. <laughs> so that's one of the future effects is that when we have metta. Uh, It's felt as other beings by other beings as safety, as openness, and as kindness. Those are different dimensions that other beings may feel when our heart is uh, expressing metta in a given moment. Sorry, could you repeat that? So, other beings, when we are, when our heart is in a state of goodwill, um, other beings will tend to experience that as a feeling of safety, a feeling of openness from us, or a feeling of kindness from us. Um, That doesn't mean that we can just sort of beam this out and everybody will be happy and safe and love us, but that's the energy we're putting. They may have so much anger going that it gets overridden by that, but that's at least the energy that we're putting out. Does that make some sense? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's expressed in a number of ways. You know, when we're generating this intention, what is being expressed? You know, how does that How is that coming about? And we're going to practice with this in a moment, but um, goodwill is one way. So literally wishing that a being be happy. And some of you may know the meta phrases where we say, may you be happy. And that's not like we're Again, we're not predicting their future. Like you can wish, you can say, may you be healthy for somebody who is ill. And that doesn't mean that they will get healthy necessarily, but we wish for them. You know, we have that wish in this moment. So goodwill. Another way metta comes about is by seeing the good in another person. That's actually said to be the <clears throat> manifestation of it, is that we look at another being, and instead of feeling either suspicion or um, fear or anger, we feel that we can see something good in them, good potential. Even if they're not expressing that at that moment, we, we, can, we can see that in them. Um, so that's another expression of metta. Even if someone is currently depressed or angry, we can, um, they're, they're not in touch with their own goodness we can feel their goodness. So that's a second way. And then a third way that um, metta can be developed or expressed in ourselves is to intend not to create an an othering with that person. So to feel um, a connection between ourselves and them, and, and that's that openness. And that can be a real challenge, of course, if the person is expressing something very different from what we feel or or something, but that's the challenge of metta, is can we keep our heart open in that moment to them? It doesn't mean that we condone or agree or just be passive and let them, you know, assume that we agree with them or something, Um, but we we don't have to close our hearts. This is why it's a practice. There's a lovely book by Ajahn Suchito, um, and I will forward you the link to the PDF of this book that's on the um, some, a set of qualities called the paramis. We won't go into detail what those are, but metta is one of them. Mm-hmm. And the chapter in this book on metta is wonderful. It's about dissolving the self-other distinction that we feel so often. You know, we feel, I'm different from the whole rest of the world, or I'm this lonely being wandering through a hostile external world. And this is about, metta, he claims, is about dissolving that feeling of separateness. Not that we're aiming for you know, the universe, universal oneness or something, but um, that we can dissolve those divisions between ourselves and others, and, crucially, between the different parts of ourselves. So metta is also very much an internal practice of not othering parts of ourselves. Do you have parts of yourself that you s- squash when they arise or wish weren't there? Most of us do in some way. We have movements of our mind that we wish we didn't have, and so we suppress them or push them aside or make a New Year's resolution that we're going to improve them. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Right? How? What attitude did we bring? to that self-improvement. We have to be careful. Um, Here's that quote. Here, I have a quote about self-improvement. The need to self-improve is often founded in self-criticism, self-judgment, and an absence of meta. Before improving oneself, know how to love oneself. Be at peace with oneself first, and from this space, make the decision to self-improve. Self-improvement remains a noble endeavor to engage in, but notice, a tree does not improve itself. It is present, and it grows. The environment shapes it. Nature remains present and transforms. This is from an article, by the way, called the hidden violence in (laughs) self-improvement. So the intention of metta is very different from a resolution or an aim or a goal of I'm going to be a kinder person. What does that say? It says I'm not kind right now. Instead, how about using metta to see the goodness in our own heart, that's one of the expressions of it, and planting the seeds that will allow that flower to grow, or that tree to grow. It's a, it's a shift in attitude, right? So this attitude or intention of metta that we have in the present moment will yield good results when it has that openness to ourselves. Okay, so I don't want to just keep um, talking. I think we should do some of this. but. Um, I will ask now if there are any questions or comments about this kind of idea of what the intention of Meta is about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I right
3: think I find correctly the the last thing you mentioned. It's more a question of finding the intention within yourself. Finding this Desire the meta, you have to find what meta you have in yourself to work with. Yeah. To, to present to the world rather than looking for something outside of yourself that you aspire, that you, um, you idealize, or you think is virtuous, or you think is a better form of meta.
0: This is a great point, actually. And, um, so I, I will, yeah, you're, you're right. So that what you're saying, um, I want to affirm that's true. We're looking, we, we have metta already, actually. Um, I don't think anyone is completely without it. <laughs> but it may be not recognized at all. And for sure, we're going to find the metta in ourselves and let that grow and then let it spill outwards. And what, one of the, what you described as having, you, you even said the word ideal, I think, is actually one of the ways that we create an other. It's, it's a subtle way. Um, but Ajahn Suchito defines in this meta chapter three different ways that we that we create others. One is the um, you know the literal othering of something in an external relationship. Like we don't feel connected to another person, and so they're an other. That's one sort of the blunt, obvious way that we do that. Um, we can also create others as as meditators, we create others as objects of our awareness. So we have a sense that there's me, and I'm observing my body, or I'm observing my emotions. This isn't necessarily unskillful. Um, it's actually part of met- mindfulness practice, is to create this observer. But we are then creating two things, right? There's the me, and then there's the thing that's that I'm observing. And so there's a little bit of... We have to be careful of the attitude between those two also. And then the third form of othering is what you brought up, which is we create an ideal. Um, I would like to be more generous, let's say. And so that seems like an innocent enough phrase, and it's a good wish to be more generous. But what have we done? We've created me, who's not generous enough, and the ideal of more generosity, and then we've created a gap between them, and there's my work (laughs) to do. But look at that that's all a creation of the mind to set that up right so something we're not working on generosity at this moment but something more in that li- in line with what we're talking about tonight would be if i want to be more generous what i should do is at this very moment give something right here <laughs> this is what will make me more generous is doing it in this moment then i plant the seed I've created in my mind stream an act of generosity, which will grow. Um, And it has an effect in the moment. I give somebody something and they're happy, hopefully. But it's also planted the seed that I did an action, remember? Intention is karma. Intention is the action. It's the karma. And so instead of creating something in the future that I need to be, right in this present moment, I give. And if you keep doing that enough, you'll be more generous <laughs> without having to have created well, that ideal. Yeah, Heidi. Well, it's
1: it's funny. It seems like we forget that as well as with children or animals, we, we, we know that reward works better than punishment, but with our own attitudes to ourselves,
0: yeah,
1: we tend to have this punishing attitude and
0: yeah.
1: not recognize our virtues and then let them bloom and you know, notice ourselves when
0: we're doing something that is skillful. Yeah. That's right. And that's actually all part of metta is opening, breaking down any barriers that we have within ourselves. Yes. Oh, well my, I'm,
1: I have trouble with understanding intention in an volitional way. And part of that is because one of the roots of Buddhism is anatta. So as soon as you create a self to have an intention, you're sort of creating more of you. As well, you know, how do you get around? <laughs> do you think
0: that yourself is responsible for all of the actions that you've done all day? You weren't there for some of them, right? <laughs> Carlotta just pointed out earlier that you know she she saw things happening that she 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 saw a little bit of will, but we know stuff happens all the time that wasn't willed. So I think you've exposed the self as not capable of doing all the actions that you've done all day. It's not there for some of them, right? Right, right. So um, it's not actually the self that does the volition. Mm-hmm. And that's an interesting thing to start exploring also. How do you
3: explain that?
0: <laughs> it's easy. The self is <laughs> a construct. <laughs> um, once you start seeing that, it becomes harder and harder to believe that the self is what's willing. Yeah. We may feel like we're willing, but it's in a, we're like we're willing something um, or, or doing, creating a volition, but that's, that's the experience of the sense of self, creating a volition. Mm-hmm. That's what's happening in the present moment. I mean, I've had plenty of times. There's there was a woman who was um, on retreat one time, and this is a story Carol Wilson told at IMS. She said that she had asked this person to watch um, desire because she was having a lot of desire come up, and so um, and to maybe try to not act on it quite as often. So it's a different practice than what we're doing, but that's and so she she watched herself go through the dining room, and there was a bowl of fruit out, and she wanted a piece of fruit. So she said oh, great, this is my chance to practice, you know, not not acting on my desire. So as she approached the bowl of fruit, she saw this desire for the fruit, and she said, no, 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 not going to do that. And as she walked by the bowl of fruit, um, it didn't happen. And then later, um, she walked by the same bowl of fruit and wasn't quite as mindful, but she said it was as if in a dream her arm <laughs> reached out and <laughs> took an orange. <laughs> and she was like, you know, it's like, this how many of us have not had an experience like that right And so on retreat it becomes very vivid right but you know her um, herself was saying I'm not going to act on that desire I'm the good yogi and her arm like in a dream <laughs> was reaching out and so there's a lot of stuff going on that is definitely not consciously willed And this is very humbling but, when we are being conscious about it, we can plant seeds like loving-kindness or non-ill-will. Might as well use the, consci- the <laughs> conscious part when you've got it. <laughs> the mindful part when you've got it. All right, so shall we... Um, let's do a, a little guided meditation. It's not going to be a meta practice, like we're not going to sit in wish um, wish all beings be happy, because I'm either assuming you know how to do that, but this is more um, learning how to sense the intention of metta, which we all have, but do we know it? So find a posture that is comfortable. There's no reason to strain yourself. You can just be at ease. And bring your awareness inside, Just allow the tension to settle. Maybe you use your breath or your body sensations. Maybe on the exhale, relaxing the shoulders a bit, relaxing the belly, the legs. Attention to the area of the heart or the chest, the center of the chest. Maybe even imagining breathing in and out of the front of the chest. And just noticing how the heart is. However, it is, is fine. This is the meta of openness, so if the heart feels contracted, or aching a little bit, or tight, then we can be at ease, that's how it is, just knowing that is fine, or it may feel open or warm. gently using our ability to consciously incline the mind. See if you can soften whatever sensations there are in the chest. So soften the heart in some way. It's best done as an invitation, not as a command. Invite the heart toward just a bit more ease. It can be subtle, remember intentions are not goals. So the metta is in the invitation. Wishing for some ease. Wishing well for this heart. What does the mind feel like as it wishes well? What does the body feel like as it feels this invitation and responds to it? Is there any response in the body? Very gentle. In a way, we're dropping this intention of ease or goodwill into the mind and body like we might drop a small pebble into a well there's an echo that comes back and some ripples. You might be surprised even what the effect of this gentle wish is. Be open to being surprised. Feeling the kind of feedback system between a simple wish for ease in the heart, and we could extend that to ease in the body, and then how there's a response in the body and the mind. This is your mind and your body's way of intending metta, familiarizing ourselves with that. And I will plant a small seed for you which is to consider that metta includes a feeling of worthiness. This is not a grand, external, worldly sense of value, and power, and worth in a conditioned way. But intrinsically, there is worth in goodwill. So sit with a sense of worth or value or respect that's not dependent on anything. It's just part of this sense of metta, deep worth. have landed from this short exercise just allowing your awareness to settle back into the body. feeling the whole body sitting. feeling how it is in the chest and however it is now is fine. A chance for you to just share with another person um, anything that uh, that you would like to from that. It might have been a very intimate experience, and so um, I encourage you if you're thinking, "Oh no, I don't want to. <laughs> I hate these sorts of things." Um, <laughs> relax. You can. Uh, the great thing about meta is that you have this this sense of respect and worth, and so you wouldn't share something that wasn't um, the right thing for you to share. That's part of the friendliness and the love for yourself. Notice I didn't specifically say yourself. I just said a sense of worth. It wasn't directed, was it? Just Mm -hmm. at the heart and the body. So, um, So please find a partner, somebody near you, When you've done that, I'll I'll see. And if there's a group of three, if there's an odd number, that's fine. Yeah, you guys can be a group of of three if you have an extra. (laughs) Does everybody, is everybody sitting someone? Okay. Hang on. <laughs> okay. So why don't you take um, about a minute each to just share what you feel the intention of metta means for you right now? What it meant for you this evening? You're not laying down how you how metta is for you forever. But how was that experience for you in terms of that feeling, that intention of of goodwill or that feeling of worth? What came up for you when you did that? And if one person talks and the other could just listen, and then I'll ring the bell to switch. So why the first person, person with shorter hair can start? Go ahead for a minute. Okay. So coming back, it all sounded really good, what you guys were saying, but I couldn't quite hear. <laughs> so I wonder if anybody would like to share um, anything with the larger group that, um, that came out of that exercise or your discussion, of course, you know, being aware of speaking for yourself and not the other person. Any comments? Yeah.
1: Um, We found that we were getting more interested in the the phrase at ease and all that that means, which is more than just relaxation, but it's a feeling of safety and well-being and clarity. And um, I've just been finding in my own meditation and also when I, I we at the jail we, we always end with a, a metta meditation which we don't call metta. Yeah. But the the phrase at ease is just coming up more and more and becoming more rich and meaningful
0: for me. I also think ease is very different from relaxation. Um, probably it's possible to be at ease even if the body is not relaxed. Yeah. And it might be possible to have a relaxed body but not be at ease, mm-hmm. right? Now. I think ease is the more useful term. Yeah. Thank you for highlighting that. Did you feel a sense were you able to notice some of the qualities of ease during the exercise yes. or you notice I was of also
1: the... very aware of how quickly I would be have a little aversion attack and then that would be instantly some lack of ease and some contraction.
0: Yeah, because aversion is not ease. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah.
3: Yeah, it's interesting Evelyn. what you said okay. at the end about notice that you didn't tell us where to direct it because it was most of the way through before it, that thought occurred to me. Because prior to that point, there was something you said that triggered that thought, but prior to that I had just unconsciously assumed that okay, we're meta, we're doing that, we're directing it outward. And um, and that's so much easier for me. Um, and then all of a sudden it occurred to me. Wait a minute! I can send it to myself. Mm-hmm. That doesn't tend to occur to me, um, but something made it occur to me. And then when you said that at the end, it's like it just reinforced that I had made that assumption without realizing that, that we were directing it outward. And 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 that's a wonderful intention for me to to have, especially on the heels of having had so much suffering in the last year, is to to give. Loving
0: kindness to myself, it doesn't occur to me most of the time. Yeah. It was. I don't know if it was fortuitous or deliberate, (laughs) but somehow I I knew I didn't want to direct it because some people actually find it very difficult to direct metta to themselves, and some people find it difficult to direct it out because they think of all the people they don't want to send metta to. It just gets too complicated, right? (laughs) And so. But metta, the the pure intention itself, is really a very simple feeling in the body and the mind. And what gets complicated is when we try to put an object there, right? Then we've got the thoughts and everything else. What I wanted you guys to feel was that movement in the present moment. How many people find that their natural idea of metta would be to go outward, like Evelyn said? We've and got draw. some, and how many would think that they would start inward? Mm-hmm. 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 A few more, and then some people didn't have a preference. So, I wanted you to just kind of find what would work for you. But it's that—could you feel the feeling of meta mm-hmm. even before you figured out where you were thought about where you were directing it?
3: I think so.
0: Yeah,
2: but I'm
0: not entirely sure. Yeah, and that's fine. There wasn't. Um, a required end goal or success in this exercise. What I wanted you to feel, actually, is start to feel, how does it come for me? What is my relationship when it comes? Heidi noticed that her mind flipped to aversion sometimes, which is very normal. Um, This is a purifying practice, and it will tend to bring up its opposite. When we intend, this is a great irony of practice, is that when we intend for something, we will find the obstacles. And so often people think it's not working or I'm screwing it up. I'm I'm not able to do this thing, but it's actually good. You actually are correctly intending goodwill if you find ill will coming up because um, you're you're pointing the mind in a certain direction and whatever's obscuring it, you're going to run into. So don't worry if you had that happen. Instead, come back. What I want us to do is come, keep coming back and get familiar with that intention. What does that feel like before there's the person that we're sending it to and the obstacles that get in the way, familiarizing ourselves with that seed that we're planting? Are there other comments? Yeah.
2: For me, um, I have been all my life surrounded, and so it's very deep-seated self-criticism. So it's it, it's not a common practice to send meta to myself or to even feel self-love. So your guidance and this exercise it really it brought deep deep sadness mm-hmm. in myself. And the sadness was basically how long that I have been um, not l- feeling any love for myself. That, that, that's the sadness. is like so long, you yeah. know. Yeah. And so the exercise was very powerful for me because it's like I became more connected with myself. And therefore, I felt the openness.
0: Mm. It's very beautiful. Yeah, I think the great thing about metta is that it it's right there when we have it, right? It's sort of—I won't say it doesn't matter that we did all those, all that self-hatred before, because of course there's effects from those seeds being planted. But in the moment that you're having meta, you've got it. <laughs> it's right there. So planting more of those seeds. Thank you for sharing that. And I think you're not the only one. So I'm glad you said it. Mm. Any other things coming to mind? Yeah.
3: Just a general comment,
0: but the metaphor of seeds, I think, is really compelling. It's the Buddha's metaphor. It's the
3: Buddha's metaphor.
0: It is compelling, though. In what way do you find it compelling?
3: Uh, I guess the explanation that you gave about how... um, Me when I set goals or whatever, like I expect a hundred percent compliance, right? <laughs> now, so the seed me- metaphor is just a lot more um, forgiving and realistic, right? And also it takes into account um, all the other factors at play that it's not just about my mind and unexpected slash imagined fantasized result, right? I mean, Yeah,
0: Yeah. I like the word forgiving and flexible or whatever I believe that was the metaphor you tried to make. Because it's true, if we have just this end goal, um, how many of those do we really meet? (laughs) The future doesn't really unfold exactly how we imagine it, and so this idea of seeds that we're doing in the present moment, and then, then we kind of don't have to worry, if we plant an apple seed. It has to make apples. <laughs> it can't make bananas. <laughs> it just can't. And so that's how it is. With, you know, that's the the positive side of karma. So often people feel burdened by karma. You know, they're like, "Oh, geez," you know, I've planted all that self-criticism and you know all these other things. Um, but um, if you plant meta, that's guaranteed to ripen too. You can't not get the good results from planting good things. You can't. So please just plant what you can in this moment, mm-hmm. and it'll, uh, it'll work. And it is forgiving. There's a whole plant life cycle and all of that. It's a different metaphor. We have very sometimes physical metaphors, and the biological ones, I think, are a little better.
3: I
1: really like the way you keep pointing out that intention is in the present versus goals in the future, because it keeps bringing us back to here and now, which is really the only time we can do anything.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Well, we forget that so easily. We do. But we do, yeah. And we do have to, you know. Put something on our calendar for tomorrow or whatever, and but we
1: do that putting it on the calendar. But the in putting the on the calendar is in the now. moment, and we don't know
0: if it's going to happen tomorrow. <laughs> really, mm-hmm. the way we wanted it to. Yeah. So, absolutely. So, so then your your contemplation for the week, if you will, we're wind, we're getting down to the last few minutes, is to see what unfolds from deepening your connection to meta. I encourage you to spend a few minutes during your meditation at the beginning or a special time during the day, whatever, um, to sit and evoke again that feeling of wishing well in this moment, regardless of any goal in the future. Wishing well and, and really grounded in the body, so in the heart or in the feeling of ease. Ease is such a great word in the body and the mind. Can I connect with that and what um, what starts to come of that do you see any effects in your life and this is not this is then to say it one more time it's not about projecting meta out i'm going to be kind i'm going to etc but what if i just evoke that sense particularly that sense of worth worth in myself you don't even have to put the self on it or worth of this situation, this situation is worthy of my attention, of my care, or this other person, even if I don't agree with them, they have some worth. I like that idea, and if that word doesn't work for you, you don't have to use it, but I invite it, worth or value or respect. It's really the foundation of metta, um, this unconditional worth, and yeah, not tied to any particular quality or conditions. And what what happens? And what what seeds? What comes from those seeds? We'll talk about this next week. And I want it to be kind of personalized, so you can. I I hope I've given several options for ways to engage with it. and You can see what works for you. But do try it in both sitting and in normal situ in, in everyday situations, bringing that sense of goodwill. To see how that evolves for you. Are there any final thoughts that would, or questions that would help us feel complete tonight?
1: Kim, would you just repeat the first thing you said
3: about what our, um, our, Contemplation. <laughs> <week>. Yeah, <laughs> see what unfolds. To see it. what
0: unfolds from deepening your connection to metta, okay. to the intention of metta, deepening it in sitting and in daily life. Okay.
2: your recording. Are these recordings going
0: to be available? Yeah, I'll post it to ISC's website. Yeah.
2: Thank you.
0: And I'll send you guys an email sometime during the week. I'd like to do that. Uh, keep us connected. And yeah, and we'll, I'll see you again next week. Thank you. All right, have a wonderful week.
2: Thank you. Thank you.
0: That is my good wish for you. <laughs> Thank you.
2: Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit Seed